0: Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com podcast This interview with Misha is so incredible and really tracks a journey of her growing up in Southern California and eventually moving to Washington state and living totally beyond anything she ever thought she would do on a farm and turning her life sort of in the city into this farm life and all that she's overcome on the way there, including a huge passion of hers, which is donating to the local food bank. Misha grew up not able to afford food. And so she actually donates a majority of what she grows and all the proceeds from her professional ventures to the food bank. It's an incredible listen. It's a beautiful story. And I hope you love it. Hello, lovely Misha. How are you?
1: Hi, Bailey. I am doing great. I just came in from the garden. I am
0: covered from head to toe in soil and compost. (laughs) I mean, that is the best. I love that. (laughs) I want to just dive right in. But before I do, um, I would love for you to just share a quick couple seconds about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name
1: is Misha and I I guess I would call myself a farmer, flower grower, author, photographer, videographer, I don't know, you name it. I I don't really fit under one title, but I run a flower farm and we donate our flowers as well as the vegetables that we grow. We um we just recently moved, but our last property we used for wellness workshops in the garden and I just published my first book called Blooms and Dreams. I also have a garden show that is for beginner gardeners and all of the uh, proceeds from that go towards the food bank. So lots of different things I'm doing here, but most of them are to benefit the Bainbridge Island Food Bank.
0: That is amazing. I remember first hearing about your mission with the food bank and- just all the good that you're doing there. And I think it's so exceptional. I don't know anyone else doing this. I don't know anyone else that's growing to the extent that you are, and then also using it in this way. It's so exceptional.
1: It's a lot of work, but it's definitely a labor of love. <laughs> it's it's fun work.
0: I hear that. I hear that. I wanted to ask Kind of the beginning of your story, as a child, did you grow up gardening or on a farm or anything like that?
1: I do not have a traditional um, upbringing, I guess you could say. I was born in Southern California, but I was raised on an ashram. So it's like a community based around spiritual growth, Um, basically, lots of prayer, meditation, yoga. And my mom raised my sisters and I on this piece of land. It was 48 acres of land and other families lived there too. And we were right in, basically in Los Angeles. So I guess between Malibu and Los Angeles and the Canyon. So wow. we were kind of surrounded by big cities, but we weren't in the city. We were in the mountains. And so I guess that's where my love of nature started because I grew up, you know, playing outside all day and just, you know, no shoes on, <laughs> playing in the dirt. But I never gardened. Um my yeah. my family I don't come from a family of gardeners or farmers or anything like that. Uh So the gardening actually didn't come in until about 5 years ago.
0: Yeah. So, on the ashram that you grew up on, were you schooled there? Or did you go to a traditional school? I went to
1: a traditional school, and so it definitely it was a very unique upbringing for the area, especially because we grew up in, I guess you could call, you know, Los Angeles Malibu area, like a pretty wealthy area um, with pretty traditional households, and we had a very, very, very different type of life. And so it was always interesting, like having friends come over and stuff because we yeah. lived in like a beat up old trailer on a piece of land with a bunch of other families. And it was definitely not what you are used to hearing of when you hear that someone was raised in that area.
0: Um, oh my so- gosh, totally. Totally. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I feel like we could do an entire episode just talking about that because I think it's so, it's just so unique. Um, (laughs) Do do your parents still live there?
1: No. Okay. So I I grew up with just my mom. My dad wasn't around, uh, just my mom and my two sisters. And so my mom was taking care of us. And so she couldn't really work. And so we, didn't uh, have much in the way of financial means. Um, we basically lived on food stamps and we barely got by, but honestly, I don't remember ever feeling poor. I think my childhood was so rich in learning experiences and just the wonderful community that surrounded me on the ashram that I was a pretty happy kid. I just loved being outside and
0: um, yeah. I think that's so amazing. I I mean, I think that's a testament to your spirit as well, because you're just so, I don't know, you have a generous spirit, like as you just mentioned, how much work you do for the community already. But um, sometimes I feel like that is just endowed in you, you know, or in us or in humans. Um, And I think that's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So you you grew up with nature in your heart for sure, but the gardening came in about five years ago. And you do talk about this in your book in Blooms and Dreams a little bit, but tell me more about that big change. So you were still living in LA then as an adult?
1: Yes. Well, not LA actually. We moved all over Southern California. So I actually came from San Diego when I moved to the farm and where we lived in San Diego was total city living. So like access to everything, almost no yard, just neighbors on top of each other, like not very different from farm life.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. What part of San Diego?
1: We were on Coronado Island. So it's just a little bridge yeah, right across from the city and it's still basically city living.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. But it's also, I mean, I was just there. I went to college in San Diego and oh. Coronado so charming. And so we no. were just there recently. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, that's that definitely not, <laughs> yeah, but not farmy. I mean, yeah. at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it was, I mean, a beautiful place to live. No complaints there, but it just didn't feel like home to me at all. I have always yeah. been a nature girl. I'm not a city girl. I don't like the city. I like it for a day or two. It just gives me anxiety. Yeah. Um yeah. And so... <laughs> Yeah. So it was definitely like a huge change moving, but it was a necessary change. We were living such a fast paced lifestyle in the city. And basically life was very unsettled all the time. I was traveling for work. My husband was traveling for work. We weren't spending enough time together as a family. It was just a very different lifestyle. And we had a sequence of events. That made us say, okay, it's time for us to make a big change. This lifestyle isn't working for us. And that, you know, it, I I got diagnosed with cancer. My daughter, oldest daughter, ended up getting really sick. We thought she had schizophrenia. Like, it was a very, very difficult time. So it was just a time to hit the pause button and rethink everything. So that's when we decided to move out to Washington and do something that would be a little quieter and better for our family based around wellness, based around health. So that's sort of the backstory of how we ended up there.
0: Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Never farmed in our lives. None of us knew anything about it. It was definitely like a big change, but it was a wonderful big change.
0: Yeah. So you have two girls, right? Yeah. How old were they when you guys moved then?
1: So they were, I think, 12 and 14 or no, 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 11 and 13, somewhere around there. So like in the early teen years, which is a tough time for girls, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was really ramping up (laughs) in those years. Like, (laughs) oh my gosh, my poor mother. Um. That's crazy. So what was the conversation like with you guys, with you and your husband? Were you both on board? Did your husband have sort of this draw to nature as well, or was that more of a hard sell?
1: Um, Actually, he loves nature as well, but he also likes the city and he likes the conveniences of the city. But because at the time he actually owned a business in Seattle, that was why we chose Washington as a location. He, he had been commuting the whole time and we were like done with the commuting. We wanted to just be in one place together.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. So
1: he was on board a hundred percent because it was going to make his life a lot easier too. And it was going to benefit the whole family.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. So, okay. So you guys decide we need to slow down You want to be in Washington. um, Yeah. And then you find this beautiful property. Kind of what unfolds from there?
1: (laughs) So, actually, we had seen the property like three years prior, just visiting, and it was for sale. And we were like, oh my gosh, look at this dream. But obviously, it wasn't in our plans to move there. So we just kind of left it as a dream and kept on moving with our lives. And then when we came back and we were looking, it was for sale again. And so, oh my gosh. We honestly didn't really look at much else. We we saw it and we were like this is meant to be. And so we just kind of went for it. We didn't look at any other farm properties or anything.
0: That's amazing. That's crazy. I feel like these like unicorn magical moments are <laughs> a like when that happens, those synchronicities in life are just make life so rich and incredible. But from the outside looking in, it's like how do I get in on that wavelength? Like that sounds amazing. Um So, okay. So you guys find this property, you don't look at anything else. At what point do you start designing the garden and kind of putting that element into place?
1: So when we moved in, it was August and the previous owners had a little garden going. And so we got to just basically harvest the bounty that someone else put in all the work to grow. It wasn't even really in my plans to grow a garden, but when I saw Like it not only was it beautiful and felt therapeutic, but as a family, we were going out and harvesting all this food and just basically making garden soup every night with all the ingredients and we loved it. And I was like immediately hooked. So from there I thought, okay, I need to really do this on my own. And one thing is because I'd never thought that I wanted to be a gardener, I never I just never even I never gave it much thought. I always thought it was something that old people did, which is so silly. And so- No, totally. I, I was the same. <laughs> it's just, it just never occurred to me that I should do that. And so um, just kind of seeing that garden and seeing how everything was planted and supported and growing, it really gave me the confidence that I needed to to know that I could do it too, because I had never even really been around any anyone's garden. I'd never, I mean, growing up in the city in Los Angeles, not many people have gardens or at least not that I had seen. So it was definitely like just something I was discovering for the first time.
0: And that's so yeah. cool that they just yeah. left it behind for you. And like what, I mean, I just, that's, I feel like that's such kismet. I wanted to ask too, did you, at, when, once you guys moved, um, did you stop working?
1: Yes. So I actually completely shut down my business. My daughter was really sick and she needed me to be home all the time. And so, yes, I just, I basically shut down everything I was doing and thought that I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to be a good mom and I'm going to um, try and make our home life healing for her. And so, yeah. It was, it was a very, it was a very difficult time because I had put a lot into that business. It was a travel business and just kind of shutting it down and throwing all that away was, was tough.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think I recall in conversations past you sharing a little bit about that travel business and I hadn't actually ever asked before, like if you still did anything like that, or if you ended up, you know, just fully closing down business. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I think that's really amazing. And I feel like there, are, I mean, I felt in my own life calls to slow down and just make the main like keep the main thing the main thing. Um, with the kids and stuff like that, and just yeah. always having these fluctuating seasons of really needing to be present at home and leaning into it. And so I think that's incredible that you were able to do that.
1: I'm I'm lucky that I was in the position to be able to because of my husband, he has a successful career and in- Um, I don't know, honestly, what I would have done if, if I wasn't able to stop working to be with her. So I definitely feel grateful on that, on that sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. So tell me then what, how big was this garden that you inherited essentially? Um, I would say it was probably
1: about a one eighth of what the garden was when we left, so like an eighth of an acre. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh yeah. So so small.
1: I know it wasn't big. I mean, it was it was beautiful and it was abundant, and that was all I needed to <laughs>
0: get hooked. Well, I mean, amen. It, I agreed. Um, <laughs> I I love that. I was just trying to get in my mind scale because anybody that doesn't know if they haven't looked yet, like immediately need to go to your Instagram and see your the garden that you your sort of your your big garden that you ended up creating on your own was just so stunning and there are some amazing aerial shots of all the beds and yeah just how nice that is so i was in my mind kind of thinking if it was like four or five raised beds and then you expanded that to like 50 or how that went yeah it
1: wasn't even really raised beds so there were a few water troughs that were filled with some things but it was mostly in ground planting And so that's how I started, just organic and ground. And then the next year I just did a practice garden and I planted, I tried to plant whatever I had seen planted there before because I knew that it was thriving. And then I added in a few things and I was just, it was all an experiment and it went so well that that following year I thought,
0: okay, I'm gonna make this bigger and do it the way that I want to do it. Wow, that's incredible. And I think that I still find myself um, following the cues of the garden, right? Like I think that the land dictates so much and that's a really powerful sure. way to like get into it is to be like, okay, what's working? And then you can grow your instincts based off of that.
1: Totally, because if you try to grow things that don't go with your land, you're gonna have a lot of trouble.
0: Okay, real quick. I wanna tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep-dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at the and check it out. What hardiness zone are you in? I was in 8B and I, <laughs> I don't
1: know where I am now because on the map, it says that I'm 9A or 8B. But because mm. I'm on the top of a mountain, it's a slightly different microclimate than the rest of the area around me. Uh, For I'm sure, like, I'm almost a thousand feet up, so it's slightly cooler in the winters. I, I'm I'm still waiting to figure out exactly exactly which zone I'm in, but it's somewhere between seven and nine.
0: We'll find out soon. Oh my gosh! Well, and that will be interesting to see. Did you guys get like a freeze or a, a heavy frost before versus now?
1: Um, we did get I think it'll be very similar. Um, we did get a we got about two weeks of snow in the winters on Bainbridge Island where we were before. And I think it's about the same where we are now. The temps may be, you know, a little cooler and the frost may come a little sooner, but I am not quite sure. I'm kind of waiting to find out.
0: Yeah, with that altitude, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. how exciting. And we're a little further. Oh ahead. my gosh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll be, I know I find that like the U.S. hardiness zones are really interesting. I think they're really important, but they're also so microclimate specific, like you said. And also, um, you know, they're like, for example, if you were, if you determine you, your area is more like a 9A, I mean, 9A in Washington versus 9A in South Carolina is like incredibly different. So- you know, all with a grain of salt, obviously. Totally, totally different. Yeah. Um, so tell me more about this. So once you kind of decided, okay, or I guess I think it's such an inspiration and this is like, so motivating to hear always these stories, like you really didn't have much experience and the garden just sort of captured you. Um, at what point did you decide, like, let's go all in and let's like, let's make (laughs) this a big thing.
1: You know, I don't know i that's the kind of person I am, so I don't really like when I do something, I do it I, I don't know if it's like o c d or what, but I don't like to do anything halfway, and so once I jumped in, there was no way I wasn't going to just go for it completely. yeah, <laughs> um but at, at what point i think I think it was when I grew flowers. That I was like, whoa, this is amazing! Like I watched this tiny seed turn into this beautiful bloom, and the veggies were great too. Just, just learning that I could successfully do it and then feed my family and then have enough to share was such a great feeling. Totally so I think like trying it and then being successful that makes it, or that made me kind of want to dive in even more.
0: Now in that process, were there any like documentaries or shows or books that were really instrumental in in your learning process?
1: Not really. I am a trial and error kind of a person and I learn so much better by experimenting because I remember what I did and the results rather than reading it. I know I bought a bunch of books and read them But nothing really stuck. I had to get out there and just do it.
0: Yeah. I hear that. Is there, I guess maybe after the fact now, do you feel like there are any sort of like garden philosophies or approaches that you use or is it all just sort of like based on experience?
1: I love the culture method for planting because... It requires less watering, and it gives the soil natural a natural source of nutrients once it breaks down. So hugel culture is basically when you put logs and natural materials, leaves, sticks at the bottom of of a raised bed, and then you build up from there. So you add the soil and a little compost after. But because all that natural material is at the bottom of the bed, once it gets wet, it can keep the Soil moist. And then as it breaks down, it just keeps adding nutrients. So less compost. And then I use less soil. So it actually saves money. It saves water. It seems to be um, the method of all the methods I've tried. Uh, it seems to be the one that I like the best and have had the most success with.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think that's really wise and practical. And there are a couple ways to sort of do hugel culture. If you don't have raised beds, there's like, an, an approach for sort of that mounding method as well.
1: I think that um, is the actual like real method. I just use it in raised beds and containers. I think the mounding yeah, yeah. is where it came from.
0: Oh, for sure. I've never tried that, but like you, I tend to fill the bottoms of beds with like logs and leaf debris and, and all of that. And I know there are sort of extensions on that, like the lasagna lasagna mm-hmm. gardening method and um, oh, so many good things. So uh, after you kind of gained some experience expanding the garden, is that when you really started getting involved with the food bank and your? I want to hear about your garden show too because I want to know if that's still live. I want to subscribe. Like I don't <laughs> consider myself a beginning gardener, but I just love to consume gardening <laughs> content. <laughs>
1: i, I you on that. I have like purchased every pretty garden book you can think of, and yeah, I still I just love like reading, it. Yeah, all of the everything, so. <laughs> Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. so I guess you decide you fell in love with gardening, you decide to expand into sort of this bigger garden. And I guess the tie, what, what the tie between that I, I want to hear more about is you must've developed a successful process for figuring out how to design a large garden space, but also for it to be like super functional and high yielding. So I guess, tell me more about how that unfolded.
1: Yeah, so um actually when once I created the big garden, we had such a large bounty that like there was no way our family could consume that much food. And I didn't I knew that I wasn't doing this as a business at that point. And so I wanted to just donate it. And then some neighbors had told me about the food bank. So then I started taking it there, and that's how kind of how that got started. And then regarding my garden design sort of philosophy, if you will, are you asking about um, like functional design or more of like visual design?
0: Um, I guess, I guess what your take is on both, because I feel like you embody both. Like I feel like it's aesthetically really beautiful, but then it's obviously really high yielding and really functional too. So I guess where's the happy medium on that?
1: I hate to say this because I don't like the way it sounds, but it's but it's kind of true for me. I kind of feel like more is more when it comes to plants in the garden. And I say that because for multiple reasons. One is because the more variety you have in your garden, the better the ecosystem is. And so I feel like that has helped me with Well, for example, companion planting, adding multiple different things together has helped me with keeping pests away. It's helped things be a success, but also for design, I love like a really lush, densely packed layered look. And so I tend to just kind of go by more is more and I sort of aim for symmetry and harmony and uh, specific colors that speak to me and lots of repetition. But, I love um, that. yeah,
0: is there when you're planning out, um, and this is just kind of a question that just came to me because i'm I'm fascinated by this, when you're planning out like that, you know, what's gonna be complementary and like the color scheme, do you like sit down and draw everything out and like have pictures and like inspiration <laughs> boards or color swatches, or are you do you just kind of know? honestly, I
1: try so hard to be that kind of person that can sit down and plan it all out. And I do that every season and I never follow my plan. So like, no, I'm like that too. It's a, it's a silly <laughs> exercise for me. I do it anyway to guess, I guess it's a good starting place. Right. And then from there, it just takes off on its own thing. But as far as colors go, I know I'm attracted to softer colors. And I love, you know, peaches and violets and light pinks. And then there's certain colors. I just really, they're, they're just too much. They're distracting. I I feel like in the garden and those are like Mm -hmm. bright reds and hot orange and hot yellow. So I tend to shy away from those colors in my garden because I want my garden to be more of a relaxing, calm toned place. Um, I think if if you're going for lively, uh, then those colors work great, but for the purposes I want my garden to serve, um, I kind of go with the more cool tones, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, I think starting out, it sounds like you really have sort of a, a purpose slash mission for the garden. And I think that's really helpful, actually, knowing that, knowing you want it to have the certain vibe.
1: It totally is. And I guess that's where like sitting down with a plan at the beginning always helps is like defining my goals is what basically sets the path for the whole process. So I know that I want my garden to be a place of healing, a place of sharing, a beautiful place where I can entertain. And so keeping all of that in mind, really helps me with my design. So as far as layout, I know that I want to have places for people to sit and I want to have pathways because I love the look of a pathway going through flowers. It really, really directs your eyes as to where to go. And I love having focal points. So definitely like you can't just, Throw that all together if you don't have an end goal. So knowing how you want to use your garden, I think, is so important for getting started. And then you kind of just build your plan around what you want to use it for.
0: I love that. So this is, I guess, kind of the meat of what you do dig into with the show. Is that right?
1: Um, So with the show, I kind of dig into everything. It's for beginner gardeners. So it's a lot of beginner how-to content but it also is just, I just document what I do on the farm week to week. And so people can see which tasks take place at certain times and how they're being done. Um, and so it's a mix. It's definitely a mix of content. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, so actually just was thinking too, in your, in your experience with travel, did you experience, like, have you been able to go travel and see other gardens in other places like around the world?
1: I didn't actually seek out gardens um, prior to gardening. So I did a ton of travel, but it was mostly for beautiful nature, wilderness lodges, things like that. Once I started my garden show, I have been seeking out gardens on my travels and I've seen some really beautiful ones in Switzerland. Um, I've seen some cool gardens in Alaska, which is Zone one, so that's always fun oh to see gosh. the challenges that people have up there. Um, but yeah the the garden tourism, I guess you could say, wasn't really something that I started until recently.
0: Yeah, same. I haven't done much traveling with that as the goal, but now I find myself thinking like, okay, where can we go where I can look at gardens? <laughs>
1: Yeah. I love the idea of garden tourism. Just literally take a trip and look at all the gardens. That sounds like a dream to me.
0: Yes. Agreed. Um, let's talk offline about that. You and I are doing a travel gar- a garden tourism trip. I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, okay. So your show I think is brilliant and I love how it showcases, like I love how it teaches, but it also showcases life on the farm and really getting to see your gorgeous I mean, and it is, you're, you're not just gardening. You also have farm animals. Um, tell me, I I guess I, what are, what are the animals you guys had on the farm and are you taking those with you?
1: Yeah. So we had at our previous farm, we had German shepherds, chickens, alpacas, sheep, and goats. And then when we were going to move the owner, the people who purchased our previous property wanted to buy the animals with the farm, which, um, you know, seemed like the best thing so they could all stay at their home. And also because we were buying raw land and we didn't have any infrastructure built for them yet, no pastures, no barns. So it was actually, that was one of the hardest parts of moving was leaving the animals. But it turns out that the new owners decided, um, that maybe all those animals was a little much for them. So our goats just came out to the new farm here at Skydance. We are almost finished building their barn. We built them a pasture. I'm so happy to have them here. Um, We have some other animals coming out in about a month once the barn is complete. Um, And the chickens are going to stay at the old farm in their coop. So we won't have chickens as of now but, um, I won't say never.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. So how did this new move come about after I know, I mean, just so much success on the original farm. And I mean that in multiple ways, like obviously success for the community, for you guys, um, for the show. And then, you know, really, I guess the original farm was inspiration for the book too.
1: Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the original farm is the entire book is based around the original farm. And I wrote the book just with, (laughs) I thought that we were going to live at Evergreen Acres for forever. So when I was writing it, I was writing it with that in mind. And it's so interesting that right when it comes out, like we move. And now I have this beautiful keepsake of all of my memories from that property, which was so, so special for us to be there and have all the experiences we had there. But the move came about for so many reasons. And there isn't one specific reasons, reason, but we basically had multiple curveballs thrown at us at the same time. And we had to stop and rethink everything, kind of the way we had to stop and rethink when we moved from California to the farm in Washington. Mm-hmm. It was at like another pivotal sort of reset time And I don't even know where to start with explaining it, but I guess I can give it a try. So, with the pandemic, my husband began working from home. And so he was no longer going into an office. And my oldest daughter just graduated high school and she just started college. So, she's out of the house. Our youngest, who is in high school, Um, really the pandemic wasn't good for her. She took a turn for the worse and you know, she was in lockdowns at home alone for just too much time. And she got to a place where she really needed some help. And so we ended up putting her in a therapeutic boarding school because she was really not safe at home she needed 24/7 care that we weren't able to give her. And so that was pretty hard. Like it was another just really difficult time that we went through and for sure. She's like my best. She's I mean both of my daughters are, you know, my best friends. Also um I don't know, her and I just had like we have so much in common and we did everything together, so it was really tough on me and not having her in the house just made everything different. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's kind of like all the animals, for example, she loved the animals. And so, you know, going outside and, and not having her there to, to do the, you know, to do the feedings or walk around the farm together, or, um, she would help me do the food bank harvests, and she just wasn't there. And it was like this big empty hole of like, Oh, like I wasn't expecting to have, an empty nest so soon and yeah um i don't know it was it was just a really really tough time but on top of that these res- residential treatment centers they don't um insurance doesn't cover them so it's a massive expense and we just thought you know we need to rethink our plan here because our farm requires so much maintenance and it's, it's so has so many expenses involved. And like for long-term, we we didn't know how long my daughter was going to need this extra care for. And so we thought we need to rethink like our finances because this is like, you know, this could be a big problem. And at the same time, we have Always wanted to move to the San Juan Islands. We just never thought like that was a reality because at the time my husband was going into an office, we had kids in high school, but we never really gave it realistic thought. But being at home and you know, not having our kids there and having all these expenses, when really the reason we bought that property was for our family to use together. Um, and and, and so they weren't there. It was just, it was like, it was a lot for two people and it was hard for me because it just made me think of the kids and they weren't there. So at the same time, the real estate market on the Island where we lived on was going crazy and things were selling like so quickly over asking price. And so we thought, well, you know, if we sell the property, we need to do it right now or not at all. So that was another thing. It kind of like gave us a, a shove because oh yeah, it, we didn't even really like have a lot of time to think about it. It was like either we get in while while the market's hot, or we just don't do it. But financially, it really seemed like the best decision for our family, um, and so we dipped our toe in by talking to a realtor, and then honestly it just felt like a whirlwind. Like it sold immediately over asking price. And it was like, okay, well now we got to figure out what we're doing. And Oh my gosh, that's nuts. Yeah. It was, it was, it was like pretty crazy. And it was emotional because I, you know, put so much into that property and we have so many wonderful memories there. Also, I don't know, a new beginning sounded really nice something that didn't require quite as much maintenance. So for example, Evergreen Acres our old farm was 12 acres and 10 of the 12 acres were landscaped and needed to be maintained and that's a lot of maintenance. Our new totally. property is 20 acres but only two we're only going to uh, manicure like 2 acres. So we're we're only landscaping 2 acres of it. And so it's going to be a lot less maintenance for us but also this area is where we want to be long term. So, I don't know. That was yeah. a very long answer to your question. And it doesn't no. even cover the half of it, but it was just like all things happening at once that just made us decide it was time to do something different.
0: I think it's beautiful. It kind of reminds me actually of like August in the garden where like all of a sudden everything's ready and you're like harvesting and you're pruning and you're thinking about fall and everything just, and you're preserving and you're just doing everything at once. And it's a mix of a lot of good things and managing some hard things. But yeah. in the end, it's this, you know, you're kind of now in this beautiful autumn, right? Where you're sort of, re- you've reaped the benefits and now you're moving into a new chapter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like the life cycle of a garden.
0: <laughs> I mean, I can't resist a garden analogy, you know?
1: Always. <laughs> you can you can use it for almost anything. <laughs> But this is
0: true. Um, so you mentioned earlier how important it is to define goals in the garden and the past garden and sort of the goals there. What do the goals look like for this new garden and how is that playing out?
1: Well, so far so good. Although I have to say construction projects never go as planned. So we were thinking, oh yeah, we're going to move in, we'll build the garden right away. It'll be done by July 15th. It's uh September, mid September, early September, but we're not we're just starting right now. We just finished like the deer fence mm-hmm. and we're only starting now. So definitely like <laughs> some challenges from the start. But what I'm doing differently is everything. <laughs> the land is so <laughs> different. <laughs> I am, I am building a garden on a North facing slope that has all solid rock and like three inches of soil. So where I was before it was flat land with great soil. It's definitely going to be different, but as far as like what I learned that I want to, um, well, things that I learned that I would like to change after my first you know, big garden experience is that I want to start collecting rainwater to irrigate. I didn't do that before. Oh, um, we cool. were on we were on a well before, and we're on a well now. But I know that um, water on the island that I'm at is a lot more scarce than where it was before. So I'm trying to design trying to design a rainwater collection system to irrigate. Um, I'm going for like a very different style here. So a lot more natural, less structured, kind of more wild and organic to go with the environment that we're in. Um, I want to plant more native plants and more perennials. So basically I'm just trying to garden smarter (laughs) than I did before. Yeah. So use less resources, less time spent in the garden. Um, design wise, I put up, I think too many structures in my last garden. So I put up these large arbors right in the middle and they kind of bothered me. Like, I just wanted to be able to see, to like look through the garden without my eye being stopped by a big structure. So Mm. I'm not going to be putting any large structures in the middle of the garden I will be putting climbing structures at the back so they're not as obstructive like that. And then for my raised beds, I felt that the ones that I created before, they, they worked great. Um, but they felt a little maze-like because they were high and all right next to each other, kind of like stacked. And so I want to do something different here what I'm building now, they're, they're, they're lower, they're further apart. They're instead of using like boxes of wood, we're using stones that come from the natural landscape. And then, um, yeah, things are just, they're just going to be very different here. It's going to be more about adding to what's already here and letting the landscape be my guide, as opposed to just like putting up a grid, like, Garden, which is what I did before.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think that's beautiful. I do feel like that is, I see that as a trend with gardeners with myself as well, where you start out kind of like wanting the garden that you want, and then you evolve into creating gardens that like the garden wants, if that makes sense.
1: Well, for sure, it makes sense because like I think when I first started, I thought that I was the artist. And I was creating the garden, but there's two artists it's nature and you. So, like, you can only do so much, nature is gonna do the rest. And so, it has to be a like, it has to be, you have to do that with two artists in mind. Like, okay, what can I do? And what is the other artist going to do, the bigger artist? And for me, that's one of the biggest things that I learned just with garden design from my last, going from my last garden to this one is I'm actually, maybe I'm not even the artist at all. Maybe I'm just um, the person who gets it going and then nature does everything else.
0: I love that. I think that's so true. And it's just a matter of each of us like overcoming ourselves to get there. And so I think that's beautiful. I love that. Oh, well, thanks. (laughs) I'm so excited to see this next chapter unfold. It's so beautiful, inspiring, awesome to get to know you better, but also just to hear your story and just where you've come from, what you've gone through. And I think that is the common thread in, in everyone that gardens is, there's so much to the human experience and the garden tends to be an anchoring point. And I think that you so beautifully exemplify what that can look like in a very generous way, in a very healing way. And I'm just, I'm super excited to see what you do with this new space.
1: Thank you. I honestly think that gardening is good for everyone, whether you know it or not. <laughs> if you get into a garden and you work in the soil and you, you know, watch things grow and you harvest and you connect with nature. It's just so therapeutic and that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is build, build a space that I can share with people and have these events here that just give people a break. Like it gives them something, some place to go to where they feel at peace. That's pretty much my goal right now.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So Tell me where everyone can find you online that wants to know more about you and all the beautiful offerings. Yeah, so my Instagram
1: is Farm Lux, so F A R M L U X E. And my book is called Blooms and Dreams. And you can get that in bookstores um, or online on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or at my publisher, GibbsSmith.com. Um, and then I have a garden show for beginners. I have a garden show for beginners, <laughs> and it is at FarmLux.tv. So F-A-R-M-L-U-X-E dot TV, and it's a subscription, and all of the subscription payments go towards the food bank.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for spending some time here with me today. Thank you, Bailey. Awesome. Well, we will chat soon. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com/podcast.